You're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that closely examines every episode of The Sopranos, one at a time. Hey guys, welcome to episode six of Pada Bing. I'm Vic. I'm John. I'm Justin. Today we are talking about episode six, Pax, Pox, Soprana, air date February 14th, 1999. A lot of history in that title. I know you love titles, Justin. I do. Take it I away. Do. So the title is in reference to Pax Romana. It's also in reference to Pax Britannica. It basically means a peacetime in a particular region. So this title is a bit ironic because it means soprano time of peace. When in reality, this whole episode is about an underlying tension that's brewing between Tony, his mother, and Junior, and even Carmela. So the Soprano house right now is a little bit out of order, even though things are seemingly in a time of peace. This title is perfect for the thing that you love about the titles. It really just, it summarizes the whole show. And there's like all this double or multiple layered meanings in it. But at the end, Tony is able to get his house in order on both houses in order. He's able to get his mafia house in order and he's able to get his domestic house in order in one fell swoop. HBO synopsis. At Tony's suggestion, Junior is made acting boss after Jackie dies. In therapy, Tony surprises Dr. Melfi with an admission. Carmelo and Irina... Tony's mistress, both suffer as Tony's libido takes a nosedive. Uh, also want to mention this episode was written by Frank Renzulli and directed by Alan Taylor. You got anything to say about Alan Taylor? Oh, he's a big wig in the industry. Uh, he's done a lot of different things. Game of Thrones, most notably. Uh, Thor. He also uh, directed one of John's favorite sitcoms of all time, Sex in the City. True story. I'm a Miranda guy. <laughs> she's running for she governor is. of yeah. New York, right? Yeah. I think she's making some headway, too. Let's get her on the show. Book it. We got our list is long. Um, I didn't actually have any themes as I was watching it. I was really just writing questions down. Let's do this. Let's recap the show, and then we'll just throw out questions as they seem natural. Yeah, there are two main themes that are permeating throughout the entire episode. One is that Carmela and Tony are having trouble in paradise. And paradise? Up, is it paradise? Well, you know. <laughs> and Junior becoming the new boss is bringing up a lot of issues within the family throughout the Capos and even with, you know, some ancillary members of the crew like Hesh. Yeah, we departed away from the main story in the last episode with college. And this episode wrangles us back uh, to the continued storyline that... Vin McKazian. Yep. Vin McKazian, Junior's involvement with the family now and uh, the repercussions of making him the boss. And then the ongoing issues with Tony and his wife. And Did you guys catch the parallel or see a parallel when there was a scene where Junior's getting fitted for his suit and the tailor is talking to him about his grandson mm -hmm. who died? I immediately started thinking about Godfather 1. I was just going to say 1, like in 1, yeah, like they refer to one. it, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's so obvious. Uh, do you remember in the very beginning, the opening scene, I, is it the baker? No, he's a... Uh, he's complaining. I thought it was a funeral home keeper. Okay, you're probably yeah, right. You sound yeah. right. But he's complaining to the Don, Don Corleone, yes, about yes. his daughter. Yes. When I went to the hospital, her nose was broken. Her jaw was shattered, held together by wire. She couldn't even weep because of the pain. And to me, the tailor here was seeking some sort of retribution, some sort of revenge. Did you guys catch that parallel? No, I don't, I don't think that he was seeking revenge. I think that Junior asked about where his son was, and then he referenced the fact that his son just lost his son. His right. grandf grandson just died. If there was an ulterior motive, he wasn't very good at it. I think Junior saw the opportunity. He's To act like a Don. He's yeah. recently been given all this power, and as a made man, you're able to do anything. But as the boss, you really write your own rules. Yeah. And um, in a mob boss's mind, he's doing good out of his position. Right. And this was his first opportunity to, to right a wrong. Which is so funny, because it's so hypocritical. They're getting mad at somebody for selling drugs, 
when, in fact, a member of Tony's crew was getting paid for it. Jimmy Altieri was getting a kickback from Rusty Irish. No, it wasn't Jimmy Altieri. I think it was Larry Barisi. Yeah. Was getting a kickback from Rusty Irish saying he's one of his best earners and he brings in money on on gambling and and other ventures. Junior knew that, though? I don't think Junior knows much of anything, and that's why Tony's really running things. Yeah, I feel like Junior's, even Livia's working him. Do you remember when they were sitting together at Green Grove? Yeah. How's your Jewish friend? Hesh, what about him? Who ever heard of a Jew riding horses? He owns a horse farm. Uh, hey, he's Tony's friend, not mine. What do you got against him, anyway? Who, me? Nothing. But Johnny liked him. And my son thinks every word that comes out of his mouth is pure gold. Are you telling me that since I'm the new boss, I should tax Hesh? She said, is the one that produces the tax for Hesh. Yeah, yeah. She, because she wants to stick it to Tony, right? Yeah. But she's very sort of, I don't know, she's working the scene. She basically says, like, don't let people take advantage yeah. of your good nature, well, right? Well, she, she's taking advantage of his good is, nature. She is. I think Junior's really insecure. Yeah. And I think Tony and Livia both use that for their own personal benefit. What is What does she say? She worries that his good nature is being taken advantage of, and she forces his hand to flex his new power or else he's looked at as a weak leader. And I I go back and forth about how intelligent Junior is, especially in this episode, and we can talk about the other instance, but he sees right through that. He even mentions to her that this is sort of her, by design, a way to get back at Tony for putting her in Green Grove. Boy, Anthony must have really gotten under your collar. Admit it. You're looking at the crackers Coyone for putting you in here. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm playing shortstop for the Mets. The research of that word was that she's trying to take his manhood. You know, the other thing that made me to this point of is he, how smart is he, Tony tries to give him the Augustus <laughs> Caesar analogy, yeah. and it goes right over his yeah. head. And he has to use some, like, really lame and crude uh, the uh, bull uh, fucking the cows. Yeah. Exactly. And that resonated with Which him. Which explains to me, because I don't understand how that leads him to getting that all of his capos need to eat with him and you shouldn't be eating alone. Right, it sounded more like what Junior was already doing, which was fucking everybody well, over. Well, it sounds more like walk, don't run. Well, if right. that he was, was to the... walk down, Junior would have been able to convince the family that he's trying to help everyone earn and that he won't eat alone. It, this keeps everybody happy and just lets Junior remain in the power seat. Yeah. So other thing from Junior's perspective, just human nature, like id and ego, mm. he got a new job, man. And he is flexing. He's sending Mikey out to crack down on a game to yeah. kick money up. Yep. So I feel like the crew and Tony and being in this business, even being in corporate America, whenever there's a new boss at the helm, heads roll, yeah. for, at least in the beginning. He's trying to rattle some cages. And it was testing the waters. Yeah. Well, he does it in, in three fronts, like you said. One is Rusty Irish, Larry Breed. DC's top earner. Then it's Jimmy Altieri's card game that, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day, but he's in effect just spitting on Jimmy and his arrangement. And then it's Hesh. That's the final piece of the puzzle. That's the the biggest part of this whole thing. There's a new boss in town. Yeah. One of the questions I had, I don't know if you guys are going to have any resolution for it, but I'm going to throw it out there. Why do you think that Johnny Soprano had this arrangement with Hesh? What insulated Hesh from the normal course of business? I just gather from the way that they insinuate the relationship was really strong and that there's a value to Hesh that is not monetary. And because he provides that value, he sort of gets a pass. Yeah. And he kicks down through his Shylock business, yeah. which is what Loan Shark business, yeah. right? So maybe that was enough. But I, I always kind of wonder, like, they make their own rules. It's not like there's some, like, constitution or, like, bill of rights on. But you feel like everybody should be treated equally. Like, everybody that they're on the take from has to kick up. And I'm, I'm more interested in, like, what makes someone like Hesh insulated from that. I'm sure he's kicking up more than his fair share, especially since he's getting protection. Well, with a, this gets into the topic and Hesh and the whole coming to Tony. And I think Hesh is smarter than he leads on to. Hesh everyone. works Tony. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he put the idea in Tony's head and he even says, look, look, Tony, the reason I came over here was to tell you with all this bullshit going on, I don't know if I can stay in this area. Oh yeah, where are you going to go? He never really asked for the help in this whole tax situation. And he insinuated that he's going to lose one of his most precious advisors if he doesn't sort this out. Yeah. And he does it without looking or asking for a favor. So when the payments are handed down, 
Tony doesn't even take a cut. Well, I, I think if yeah. I think if he had asked for help, Tony would have maybe kept that fifty. Oh, that's interesting. Well, Tony's listing the reasons why Hess shouldn't be taxed. Yeah. And one of the things he's saying is that Did you tell me you operated for years without any tax? That my father loved you and respected you? That ten cents out of every dollar that goes into his kick is directly related to your Shylock business? So love and respect was definitely a part of the equation. And Hesh knows all those things, but he lets Tony discover him for himself. And I think at the end of the day, Hesh knew that this was going to happen eventually, and yeah. he even mentions, He's a boss now, Tony. He can call the tune we all dance to it. It's the way it's always been done. He's the, the boss. boss. He's allowed to do this, but the amount was Reasonable request, unreasonable amount. The sit-down, it was well choreographed. Did you guys get the impression that Junior knew that they were working behind the scenes, or was he completely oblivious? We've What's had your... debates about this before. Yeah, I... It's really hard to tell. I think it goes back to our previous conversation about what does Junior really understand? Mm-hmm. Is he is he the Mr. Magoo character that has is completely oblivious, has no idea what's going on, or is he dumb like a fox? Well, his his line of uh, something tells me you have a suggestion. Oh, Junior, there are flies on you. They're paying fucking rent. Leads me to believe he's along with their story, or that he may have known that they cohorted together. And we've talked about how the acting in that scene is sort of horrible. Yeah, but Johnny Sack in particular. My justification is that their characters acting in that scene because it was a little bit of an after-school play that they put on to put a, the ruse on Junior. Yeah, you know, you actually just mentioned his name. We ha- we should introduce him now. He's a new character. Mm-hmm. We have been introduced to Johnny Sack. Yes. We know who he is, and we know who he is going forward, how important he is, but they don't really outline the fact that he is the underboss of the Lupertazzi family. Yes. We don't know what his role is. We know that yeah. he's involved with New York. Yeah. We meet him in the bar, and he toasts Tony and Carmela mm-hmm. during their anniversary, and then we see him at the sit-down. Now, you said it was a lousy acting job. I thought he was okay. I thought it was... I think the way I that... Thought there was I think a, the way that he was buttering, buttering up Junior, saying, Junior, if there's any flies on you, they're paying rent. Yeah. And like, come on. I like, shouldn't that's see a little the Statue he- of Liberty. He's a little heavy-handed. They were playing it for him, so yeah. it came across. Well, I had said, well, if you hadn't had seen, if you hadn't seen the, the conversation before of this being planned, would you have still thought that it was a little over the top? There you go. And I think it's because we have that insight we kind of know who Johnny Sack is, yeah. and he's paying his respects. He's giving the illusion of power that Melfi uh-huh. talked about, mm-hmm. which is, I guess you could yeah. say this is a theme. There again, and even Tony, he does the hand gesture, and he's kind of deferring to Junior almost mockingly. We saw a big risk taken by Tony revealing or not stopping the thought that he is in charge of the family, because when he sits down with uh, Johnny at the restaurant, and Johnny says... So, what do you want New York to do? First of all, Junior can't know how we talked. He's got to think that Hesh came to you on his own, by himself. You are still running things. He could have taken that to Junior and and gotten Tony in some trouble, but it's uh, indicative of their relationship. And you're you're seeing the trust built. And I, I think that Johnny wanted to play for the winning team. Yeah. And now that he knows this, he's going to continue down the path with what Tony yeah. has planned. It's establishing their friendship. Yeah. That's yeah. What it was, I think that, that's what it was being used it's for. It's very subtly, as, as important as he will become in the show, he was very subtly introduced, and I think that's a characteristic of the show as well. Characters aren't, you're not bludgeoned to death with a new intro of a mm-hmm. character. They just show up. Like, we're going to meet Richie April next season. He just shows up. Yeah. Like he's just walking down the street, yep. if you guys remember. Yep. It's not like this magnum opus of like, ah, uh, we have a new character. Yeah. And I love that. It's very yeah. subtle. And then it's just like a slow burn. Even that one conversation gives you some insight that the New York family may think that Tony is letting Junior be the boss, but he yeah. in fact is right. And they the And they allow Carmela to introduce who he is by saying, It's our anniversary, Tony. Ours. Not yours, mine, and Johnny fucking Sachs. Ours. So you know that her mere mention of him is, even if you haven't seen the show before, this is somebody of significance. Yeah. And, and Tony if you're going to take your wife to the plaza, you better take her to the plaza every year after. Yeah. A good point. 
You better make those reservations in advance, too. Um, one thing, subtle thing that I noticed, the show, your introduction to Johnny Sack, you start, you see him with the cigarette in his hand, mm-hmm. and we know that he ends the show with the cigarette in his mm-hmm. hand. So I thought that was a nice little uh, symmetry. In our Sopranos starter packs, which is a fan favorite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, starter kits for each, each character. Each character, we make a layout of all the things that you would need to be that character. For Halloween. Johnny for Sack Halloween. Johnny is just a pile of cigarette butts. <laughs> yeah. Very true, man. Very true. Uh, you mentioned the plaza, mm-hmm. and he says, let's go, like, do it. And she says, no, let's go home. Yeah. I love how they cut to the scene of the garage door, and then which is just like this rickety tension, sort of like a nails on a chalkboard yeah. feeling. It's sort of reminiscent of like how uncomfortable the home front was. Uh, what do you guys think is going on with the Tony, Melfi, Carmela dynamic here? So, yeah, Carmela is just really jealous right now. She's jealous of Tony's emotional connection with Melfi. She knows that, you know, she mentions to the priest, Father Phil, that she looked at all the Gumars as a form of masturbation. Skifuzas. Yeah, and his his reaction is priceless. He's so uncomfortable talking about this, especially after what happened in the previous episode with college. There's there's some tension there. I think there was a, a tension that wasn't present before that that whole scene happened, that whole overnight sleepover. But Carmela is just, her self-esteem is crushed. And she wants to be objectified by Tony. She wants him to look at her in a sexy way and have a deeper connection. And she feels that Tony is kind of encroaching on that sacred ground right there. Melvi had a great line that I noted. She was trying to understand why, um, and it's one of the questions I have for you, because Tony, mm-hmm. Tony actually asks the question uh, himself, so I'm just going to re- restate his question in a minute. But Melfi wants to know why a woman therapist. Let me ask you a different question. Why a female? Why a female doctor? You know, she asks the same friggin' question, and I sometimes wonder myself. And? I'll tell you what I told her. Kuzumano gave me a choice between two Jewish guys and a paisan like me. So I picked a paisan. But she says to him that maybe by coming clean with me, you're dialoguing with the women in your life, your daughter, your mother, and your uh, wife. I thought that was awesome. That was an awesome analysis yeah. of why, what Tony's actually, Tony's channeling Melfi in a way to, to communicate. Uh, is that too deep? Uh, no, no you, that, that's exactly s- what he's doing. Yeah, you see her professionalism, her ability to rebuff she says it's some my of job. his advances yeah. uh, with some heavy insights that she's probably been holding on to for the right time to throw at him. This is my question. So Carmel is obviously jealous of Melfi as soon as she finds out that his therapist is a woman. She has no idea that Melfi is played by somebody that's really attractive. The, how, why, what, she could totally be an 80-year-old woman, very unattractive, could look like Ginny Sack, 95-pound mole on her face. You have no idea what she looks like, but she immediately jumps to the conclusion of, of being jealous. That's something that I, I never really fully understood. She, she kind of wanted to be jealous. She's preconditioned for yeah. it now. Yeah. You know, it's, part of her, it's part of her psyche. And she's, I guess she's been around the business long enough to know that, especially if you're like a ranking member or if you're like a capo and up, you're not going to have an unattractive gumar, you know? So she kind of knows, it's implied that Tony's... Well, even with his moves that he has and his advances, she knows that when Tony wants something, he'll probably get it. Which is a great segue. Um, why do you think he was passive with Melfi? She rebuffed him, but he, he, he's not, he doesn't normally take no for an answer, but he respected the space he was in. He backed away and he left. Uh, do you see any disconnect there? I think his ego was hurt. Yeah, his feelings were definitely hurt. You think she feared maybe some physicality on his part? There's a consequence for this? Like I mean, he got she, close. Could, she managed that moment. Like, oh, like a Mike D'Antoni offensive clinic, okay? <laughs> I would have to imagine that that dynamic happens more often than not in yeah. a situation like that, where she says that you're opening th- up to someone, you're getting emotionally attached, they're giving you all the insights to yourself that you didn't have before, which is an attractive quality in any relationship yeah. that you're seeking. So it's not the first time well, she's heard it, and it won't be the last falling time. Falling in love with your therapist is... a pretty cliche thing. It's a textbook thing. Yeah. Chapter 7 at school, yeah. Doctor. Yeah. Oh, the DSM-4. Yeah. <laughs> it's a DSM uh, known condition. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I have a question for you guys. We'll kind of rewind to the very beginning, the Vin McKayzian scene. For me, he represents like a, almost like a tapestry. He's always in a scenic environment. There's bridges and there's gritty. Is there anything there to that? I would uh, reveal the, the foreshadowing feature of this, but it would I'm present keep, a spoiler. 
Well, yes, yeah, so we're just going to keep mentioning that every time we see Vin McKazian, we see Bridges. Well, he's a dirty, sleazy cop, and he's presented in dirty, sleazy environments. Tony tells Vin to buy himself an iron. Okay, because Vin's he's just like a disheveled guy, which I, I found that was really interesting because it cuts to the scene where Tony's handing Melfi a styrofoam cup of coffee from like a gas station. And I'm thinking no artisanal Chemex for Melfi? Yeah, I didn't catch the reference. You didn't that, catch it? No. The coffee, so I'm, I think, again, I'm fine-tooth combing this, this <laughs> thing, man, because I'm looking for answers to tell me why the show ended the way that it did. And every single, I'm, I'm turning over every <laughs> cup of coffee, I'm turning over every stone, I'm turning over every musical reference until I'm satisfied here. It, it's what you'd call a cold open, I suppose, well, with, no, this, so, uh, with so, this coffee. So he, to your point, he opens the lid, and there was no steam that rose from the coffee. So long drive. So is that a production snafu, or is that Tony just Tony just getting nice coffee? I don't think they had the Game of Thrones level spe- special effects, the CGI ready to put steam on that coffee. You better believe if we ever bring coffee over that it's steamy for Vic. <laughs> I'm noticing these things, OCD and it drove me crazy. Thing. So it's the second time when she lays the ground rules on what is and isn't allowed. He brings a cup of coffee again, and I'm like, for sure, there's going to be steam this time. There was no steam. I'm going to go with Tony Soprano's quote from the episode and say, "It's a cup of coffee." Touche. Tony's question to Melfi in this scene, and we'll wrap up to that Melfi dynamic. He asks her, Let me ask you a question. Why do you have me as a patient? Most legit people I know, they'd go 100 miles out of their way not to make eye contact with me. But you, you didn't flinch. So the question I'm going to throw back to you guys and our audience is why did she take him on as a patient? She knew what she was getting herself into. I tend to believe that she thinks that everyone deserves an equal and fair uh, treatment for any illness. And so she's Lady Justice. Is, is uh, and I think she has some fascination. There's a level of intrigue that if you get to get in the mind of a mob boss and she knows there's some risks or trouble that can arise from that, but... I think she just has professional standards and she's willing to take anybody, but I, I believe that she's, and this is talking about what goes on later on, but I think that she sticks with him through the ups and the downs because of her fascination and because she feels the slight sense of danger in the roller coaster ride. She's attracted to him a little bit, right? Is that fair to assume? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's absolutely. an attraction. Absolutely. There's a curiosity. Uh, but she maintains her professionalism throughout the show, which is an amazing yeah. feature of her. But th- in this episode... Are you saying you wouldn't be you'd be able to resist Tony's charm? No, hey, look, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not able to resist uh, Melfi's charm. I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to Melfi yeah. more than... Mo- she's singularly as important to me in the show as Tony is because she is the other bookend for me in this whole dynamic, this whole power Of morality. Of she morality. holds yeah. the candle. Um, she, uh... So a couple of things happen. Tony professes his love for her, mm-hmm. which, you, like you alluded to, she said this is a byproduct of progress. Yes. But then he takes it a step further. She notices that she's being followed. She sees a car kind of like peel out in her neighborhood. And then her car gets repaired. And the other question I'm going to throw back to you guys is, now me professionally, if that happened and I felt a threat... I would kind of close the relationship, even as a lawyer, like if you're an attorney-client relationship Mm -hmm. and a client crosses a barrier, you can withdraw from the representation. It's a completely ethical and legal and responsible thing to do. She could have easily said, like, look, this is going way too far. There's a person outside my door. You run a criminal enterprise, and now you're stealing my property and fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. this is over. Why do you think she said, I'll see you next week? Is it more of the same or is there anything? I, I think that those are, there, there are two separate, completely separate situations going on where his attraction to her and his come on to her is something that you would continue seeing somebody with. But I, th- I do think the, the car stealing is absolutely crossing the line. And I think in reality, you would probably stop seeing that patient. There, there's a legal boundary that was crossed that you can't really go back from. She knows who he is, so maybe she cuts him a little bit more slack on that front. But in reality, you'd you'd drop that person just like a lawyer would. I'm not trying to tell David Chase how to write his shows, <laughs> but one of the you know those books when we were growing up, how you could like pick your ending. And you're like you, you would read a chapter, and then it would say you could do option A or option B. One of the storylines that would have been interesting is if she actually was like we're done, and then there were some episodes where he was trying to rebuild the relationship, or maybe she goes to Elliot, her doctor, her therapist, or maybe he tries a new therapist, and he realizes how important she is, and then they kind of find their way back to each other. I always thought that, like, that could have been a good angle, as opposed to just the easy way, the easy TV way of her being like, you know what, I'll see you next week, you know? They could have fleshed it out a little bit. Yeah. 
I think she also, well, she also accuses him or questions him on whether she's being followed and if he has something to do with it. So I do think that when she asks that, he turns, gives her a look, and she feels a little bit guilty for suggesting that. So I think that might have eased It was a really difficult a session for her. Yeah. She was a little unprofessional, laughing at, or was that another? It was another she was laughing at, she well, laughed about breaking balls. This guy's just hit on her and yeah. is trying to express his love. She's ending the session and then she has her other concerns that they're having while he's got one foot out the door. I think she was, she even says, whatever, like, I'll see you next week. Yeah. Right. It was probably at that point too much for her to handle. Also a little bit of a fear factor too. I mean, I can, we can relate to the fact that if you know that you're in a power, if you're in a power dynamic with somebody and they're exerting their power over you or if they're, or you know that there could be a potential consequence to you not performing in a certain way, you're going to tend to just be like, I'll see you next week or I'll, I'll acquiesce yeah. to what you're saying. Yeah. So maybe that was To that. avoid the situation. To avoid, yeah. to avoid more following and whatever. Um, another question I have for you guys, and if you guys have questions, I want you to throw them out too, but I'm just kind of like rattling them off as I see them. Mikey Palmisi crashes Jimmy Altieri's car game. Yeah. Okay, that's a, it's a cool scene, there's good music. Mikey flexes, knocks a guy out, kicks him to the ground. He says that Junior Soprano is the new boss and that he's not respecting old arrangements. Yeah. Okay, my question for you guys is, isn't that this whole thing, this our thing, this La Cosa Nostra, isn't it all about respecting old arrangements? Can you just come in and you're going to say, Hesh said that the well, boss can do whatever the boss wants, but isn't the boss kind of beholden to old arrangements? I think with certain things on how the family is dictated or governed, yes, but on financial taxing, I think it's free game each time. Yeah. And you're going to see it throughout the show as different bosses come and go. Especially in this particular situation where apparently this card game wasn't kicking back to anybody. I think that there was probably some sort of a personal relationship Jimmy had with whoever ran that card game. So nothing needed to be kicked up. They were just letting it happen. But Junior just wasn't having it. As much as Jimmy Altieri's mentioned, even at the end, we see all the capos and the list mm-hmm. of them. I think the ducks in a row, you see the names and the order. Uh, uh, Lawrence Barisi, like you mentioned, Anthony Soprano, Raymond Curto, and then Jimmy Altieri. For as much as Jimmy Altieri's mentioned and alluded to, he's not a major figurehead in the show. He's, he comes up at the end uh, a little bit, but he's just, the captains, you don't see a lot of them. And we know, obviously, what the storyline that's going to evolve with Raymond Curto. But Larry Barisi and Jimmy Altieri are kind of on the, on the outsides. They're kind of like the lower totem pole captains, yeah. if that even makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You guys caught that? Yeah, that'd be interesting spinoffs if you were to see what those guys were up to. Maybe in the prequel to the movie, to, to the yeah. movie that they're coming out with. These guys are all, they're all older. Raymond Curto especially is older. He would have been around during Johnny Soprano's yeah. time. I, I One thing that I, I always found interesting, especially when you're putting Junior Soprano at the head, why was Tony never made the de facto underboss of the crew. You know, Johnny Sack has the underboss role of New York. Yeah. I know it's not really mentioned yet, but it's it's implied and it's more solidified later on in the show when they explicitly mention it. But Tony doesn't really get that ranking. And, and on another note, Livia has a lot of influence with Junior. What what do you think her position in the crew would have been had she been a man? What do you think her role is? Is, is she consigliere? She's Junior's consigliere. That's that's 100%. how I kind of view yeah. it. She had a front row seat, man. Yeah, she she grew up in it. She and her husband was the boss, and she's seen it evolve. She's seen her son come up in the scene. So she's that kind of like that asset that you would want if you're running a company, mm-hmm. someone who can give you like. Inside baseball, to use another sports analogy, if you have a team and and you are able to recruit somebody from another team to your front office who can kind of give you all the insight onto it, like the Golden State Warriors, if you're able to poach somebody from that who can give you all the insights, you'll do that. And that's exactly what she is. And she knows that. Yeah. And she tells Tony beautifully when he goes to sit down with her. What are you telling me? Tell him. Ma, you got his ear. He listens to you. I know that world. No, of course not. But if anything, you know, would have come up, that's all. I don't want to get involved. If you have something to say to your uncle and bring it up to him. Oh, I wish the Lord would take me. It's such a loaded statement. She knows that world probably better than Tony. And another thing with the looming prequel is, will we really get to see the 
how much control she has over even Johnny Boy. Yeah. Who's going to play her, man? That's a tough, those that's, big yeah. shoes to fill. That actress. Uh, Helen Mirren, maybe. She'll be no, too old. Yeah, oh, yeah that's too true. Because yeah, it's a young Livia Soprano. Oh, Whoever it is, man, better live up to that. Yeah. Because I, I feel like Livia, at least for the first several seasons, she's a big part of the, every scene she's in is like a powerhouse moment. The, uh, Radar for a potential guest that I got for you. I don't know if this is a Sopranos Graham follower, but the meat slicing gal that Christopher passes, he kind of like saw your notes on that. You saw that he kind of like grabs, frisky with grabs he like he gives her a little back hug and then grabs a little piece of meat and then runs. She's a perfect kind of person to ask because she, she was like an extra, but she had a role and she yeah. got to credit. Do you know who you guys know who she is or have you? Do you like, no, but every time I see that scene, I get so hungry. Uh, she was icing Brendan Falone's head when Tony uh, Uncle filled him outside of the. Oh, she was. <laughs> was in the scene yeah so she's got multiple roles yeah oh interesting if you guys track her down they could have an amazing q a with her um t's pretty knowledgeable about the record business he's dropping lines about co-writing credits is he in on the take there too or is this is it just common knowledge to know about the recording industry and mob parlance i think he knows I yeah mean, he, he definitely knows he's close friends with tesh yeah probably a bit I've been hearing about it since the johnny boy days yeah, yeah well chris makes a reference to it in the um, There's an episode coming up. Where oh, they it's coming a, up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's Chris, season one for sure. Chris mentions that you know their family used to be in the record business. The Moltisanti and they, they family. They used to run it. Our our thing used to run it back in the day. And he Got talked it. about his dad was a part of it. So that means that Tony was and going farther back. I'm sure Johnny Boy and Junior were part Historically, of it. Historically, in the real world, was that a thing? I think it is. Yeah. I'm going to do a little deep dive on it after the fact and I'll plug in the relationship between the mafia and the well, record business. Well, well, the whole uh, scene in in one in The Godfather yeah. with Johnny Fontaine and uh, the, horse in the, the horse and the horse that was based off of something that happened with Frank Sinatra. Frankie Valley. Frankie Valley played a character on The Sopranos. They reference him as they well. They reference him, but also yeah. this guy, Johnny Fontaine, was... He was, no, he was Sinatra. Oh, he was, he, was playing, he was supposed to be Sinatra because that's that's an actual contract that uh, Frank had one of his mobster buddies. I, don't, I forgot the guy's name, but yeah. he's a well-known gangster who is Frank Sinatra's who pal. Was underwriting Frank Sinatra's career. Yeah, yeah. He he muscled he muscled somebody who had Frank's original deal. Pot of bing, thirty for thirty on Frank Sinatra's <laughs> tie with the mafia. What if I told you that Johnny Fontaine and Frank Sinatra were the same person? Wow, no, that's actually see, these are so many rabbit holes with the show, man. And again, as many times as I've seen it, I forgot. I forgot about the record business. I forgot about Christopher, and he says there's so much there. There's so much layering going on. Um, okay. Dream sequence question. We're going to be talking about dream sequences this mm-hmm. whole this series. It's one of the premier things in the show, and it's evidenced even more by the fact that in the first six episodes that we've seen, we've seen at least a handful of them already. This so, one in particular was a set of the most provocative. Yeah. Yeah. So my observation and question for you guys about it is we see Tony, he's in bed. Mm-hmm. We assume it's with Arena. We assume it's with Carmela. Mm-hmm. The dream part of it is him in black sheets before and after the dream when he's in bed with Carmelo we see white sheets do you guys make anything of that anything is that his Gumar's place it's a little one's dark and seedy and the other's pure yeah you guys have any thoughts on the dream sequence it goes to the uh, the one scene where it's the second dream and he uh, rolls over and looks at Carmelo almost to check if he's still dreaming I think to see if he's in bed with Melfi and uh, her line of uh, you want sex no. Go back to sleep. We've joked about it in the past. Few men have One ever sex? heard that from their significant other. Like, but the, maybe that's Tony's move. I mean, after yeah. 18 years of marriage, <laughs> maybe that's his go-to. In the middle of the night, he wakes up <laughs> just, and just hits Carmela, you, and she goes, well, here we go. When you Want want sex? it, you want yeah. it. No, it was very telling, Well, I, sure. I think that during the dream sequence, the song was a perfect choice. It was called What Time Is It? Yeah. And it was A Time for Love. And, and I, I like your song reference, right? And then, and then in I don't know if it's before or after when Melfi's asking if it's a physical thing, and she says, "When you awaken in the morning, or in the middle of the night, do you ever have an erection?" It set your clock to it. Segueing into this erection issue that we haven't really Tony's libido. It was one third of the yeah. HBO synopsis. <laughs> I. I thought this might be a perfect plug for Viagra for David Chase back in the day. Product placement? Yeah. I mean, it was uh, approved and green-lighted back in 1998 from yeah. the research I did. And I thought that might be a perfect solve. 
but he hates corporatocracy and it would have been against everything that he stands for, no? No, there was a ton of product placement on so? The Sopranos. I think The Sopranos was one of the first series to really introduce that heavily. HBO bosses probably overrode him on that. Yeah. Well, and you know what you get when you mix Viagra and Prozac, right? What? A guy who's ready to go, but doesn't really care where. Interesting. Where'd you pull that from? His ass. <laughs> Googled Prozac Viagra jokes. Let me see. First up. Um, another interesting, this is a subtle thing, and I'm sorry if I know you guys with the subtle questions. I'm going to actually be asking you more subtle questions like this as we go forward Keep because coming. I'm noticing these nuances and I'm obsessing over them because I feel like they have meaning. And I feel like as we turn over these stones, there's going to become some sort of a revelation that we're going to collectively have. I feel like at some point we'll have a collective aha moment. And uh, I'm just hoping for that. Um, Mikey threw the drug dealer, what was his name? You Rusty a, Irish. He Rusty throws, Irish. They throw him over the same bridge that yeah. we see in the pilot episode so that your sense of place you're kind of building this universe and as a viewer the death bridge the death, the bridge. death bridge so Junior wanted this guy dead they threw him over the bridge they see three black guys that witness this mm-hmm. execution if you will is that an execution? it is an execution right? I, I don't know I think the guy uh, just wasn't happy with his life um, right? so oh I didn't see I, I, he might have flown away <laughs> Mikey promised him he wouldn't shoot him down so Who knows? The money that is exchanged, so Mikey looks at these guys and hands them a small little tiny sum of money, even by 1999 standards. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, we would balk at that sum of money. I don't know how much it was, but it just looked like a very small amount to basically tell people to keep their mouth shut on witnessing a homicide. So 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 my question is, is that the going rate? So Vic wants to know the going rate to keep someone's mouth shut. Next time, (laughs) if we're ever going to throw someone off a bridge and Vic's around, we better come heavier, not at all, (laughs) because... Well, I don't so, have enough hundreds to keep them out. Or happy. do they just fear, I don't think do it they just the fear yeah. the mob? So there's a, there's a scene, one of the first scenes in the show Narcos on Netflix yeah. uh, about Pablo Escobar, where he's he has a truck that he's carrying over some sort Beautiful of a border. Scene. He's driving over a bridge. Driving over a bridge, another bridge of potential death. Mm-hmm. And he runs into the federal police or the Colombian army or some, some high-ranking police officials, and they're trying to see what's in the back of his truck and they know it's contraband and they're threatening him they're getting heavy with him and he just calmly says Lopez is this Pinilla? Si, sí, Pinilla. Is this Pinilla? Hey. Pues Pinilla. Y ahí con Felipe está Esperanza. Bueno, me importa un culo. Abran sus putas camiones que no tengo todo el día. Look, I know all your family's names. He starts yeah. talking about their children. He calls them out by name. Calls them out by name, calls their family out, saying your daughter just had her 13th birthday. Starts offering them gifts, saying I'll give your kids this. And finishes with the line, Plata. Or plomo. Which is silver or lead. So I don't think that there was any choice there. It was you either take this money or you're going over the bridge. You, uh, I want to, you came in heavy with an answer for that. That was beautiful. That was a great, that's exactly what it is. They understand the power of the, the enterprise that Tony yeah. represents. And even if it's a hundred bucks, it's a hundred bucks that they didn't even need to give. And they, sh- they shouldn't have been at that bridge. And they, yeah, I think they shouldn't in, have if stayed. you were in, yeah. in that situation, you would have taken the money, said exactly what you thought they wanted to hear. Yeah. And motherfucker didn't want to live no more. And then go sit back on your bucket. So go I, back to Omar and go back to Avon Barksdale and, <laughs> and just get it. Yeah, just we're tying in all the shows here, man. This is the same place where the ice cream truck left. Love that hot. scene. Yeah. The pilot. Yeah. yeah. See, they left. They knew, but they, they, they skedaddled knew before they had the confrontation with Mikey because Mikey's a volatile firecracker yeah. brand. No one wants to take a header off the rocks. Um, I had an idea for, uh, you know, uh, Sopranos, maybe a sequel or prequel or whatever. It comes up often. Livia alludes to it in this episode. And I thought it would be, call it a mock show or whatever, but the title that I have, working title for a sequel series is called Hesh's Horses. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, we have, there's a beautiful scenery. I think we see this again a few more times throughout the show. Tony and Hesh having a moment in front of these beautiful creatures. And they both just are sort of, Tony's actually enamored by the fact that their lives are seemingly much mm. better. Yeah, he and, says he's jealous of the yeah, horses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's another, like you've mentioned in the past, these subtle 
animal moments, you can tell that Tony has a completely Soft, yeah. different uh, regard for animals over humans. And we know his, we'll, as we'll see with Piamai, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, horses are a big theme. So that, I guess this... Oh, that was one of Hesher's horses, too. Was one, oh, Piamai was? Well, Pai- that was sold, sold to him. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Good catch there. How much money do you think Hesh has? Oh, good question. He definitely, definitely has 250 grand laying around to kick up to Junior right away. Right? Yeah. But not 300, apparently. <laughs> well, he's, there's I a reason th- why he's I rich. Think, I, I, Those desert he, people. If he's, in, if he's in rural New Jersey and he has horses, it's implied that he's got acres and acres of land. So, you know, his his real estate assets alone, I would say they're north of 10 million. Well, he can live off of his uh, royalty checks from the record biz. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, I think there's someone did an analysis of what Junior's net worth was, and it was actually like, kind of a paltry, like five million or something. It was. It wasn't. No, that was Tony. That was, that Tony. was Tony. That was Tony. I feel like. But it, it was, was just. A, I think it was. It just was a, a rough back of the napkin rough, calculation. Yeah. Okay. Saying he gambles this much and he eats. Who this knows much. how much for in bird feeders? That's <laughs> true. Fifty thousand. There's a fifty thousand number that gets thrown around a lot. Um, the last question that I have for you guys is that Junior. Uh, chopped up the money that he got from Hesh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be like Augustus, and he split it around to all the captains. So the four captains, everybody got 50 a pop or whatever it came out to. Tony, as we know, while we're talking about the horses, they have a moment, has a moment with Hesh, and he forks over the cash. Why did he do that? This goes back to what I was talking earlier about Hesh and masterminding this whole event. Uh, I think, again, if he had come to Tony with this concern of, oh, you know, all these things that I've gotten for free and now you're taxing me, you need to help me. Uh, but rather he said, listen, Tony, I've got this problem, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here to tell you I'm probably going to have to leave. And that's when it became Tony's problem. And I, I think Tony didn't feel like he should keep the money. So by not asking for help, by asking for help, it would cost. There's yeah. a cost yeah. involved yeah. with asking. Tax. Versus like, I'm not sure what I'd do. I might have to skip town. I think there's a lot of sentimental value that, that Tony places on Hesh. And he kind of looks at him as a conduit to seeing his, his father. Yeah, I, I, he always talks about the close, tight relationship that he had. Livia mentions it. I, it's constantly brought up. I think that everything he, just, he says is, is like gold. Everything he says is gold. So Hesh knew, John, you think that Hesh knew that by setting the stage the way that he did, that Junior would cut up the money and he would get at least a quarter of it back or get a percentage of it back? Is it that masterminded in your in your opinion? Or was that just coincidental that he ended up getting some of it back? Hesh knows the family well. And only Hesh could get away with asking for this type of help. Yeah. And... I think this, the way that he made out so well out of this, even though he had to pay the tax and um, everything was resolved, I think it's an example of why he is Hesh. It's also an example of uh, another conduit to Tony's humanity. Because Tony didn't have to give it to him. Tony... Tony could have been like, you know what? It's it's he didn't even have to mention it because there there was there was no words exchanged other than there's glances exchanged. Yeah, you know. Well, it also shows where he is right now in the series. A Tony. Yeah. Financially, he doesn't need it. Well, I, I don't know if it's a financial need. I think his perspective on things and the way he views himself is a little bit different as we see him progress and evolve a little bit more. I think that we'll find not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you know, when you do get that power. I think it changes your perspective. I think right now, even though he's the de facto leader, he doesn't have that mantle. He's not viewed it's not official. from the outside party. It's not official. The FBI doesn't look at him that way. People on the outside, other than now Johnny Sack, don't know that he's running things. So he still feels like he's part of the group. He's still sitting at the table. So right now Ooh. he... We yeah. should mention it. It's a nice segue. Yeah. The final scene. Yeah. The beautiful montage of Tony standing over, which is a two or three of your memes I saw. You guys sent me the list of all the memes that you did for this episode. Tony basically toasting Junior, the camera, the little, uh, the pocket camera. Did you catch the name tag? What was the name? John. 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 <laughs> what a rat. What a rat. There were a lot of rats in that room, as we're going to see. Here's a, I don't know, this is, again, this is just mincing meat here, but it was a big coronation. It's like a big deal. They rent out a hotel room, uh, whatever, a conference room. They get the white linens out. The boys are having a little the time The boys for are me. having a little time. But there's five families in New York. Mm-hmm. Lupertazzi's only one of them. Why was there only representation from one family? Again, I, is that just a production oversight? No, I think Johnny 
has a friendly relationship and he acts as somewhat of a liaison to the to the new to the broader New York ambassador. Well, just I I believe that the Lubertasi family is they they refer to them as the Brooklyn family. Yeah. So I don't know where the other five families reside in. in the Manhattan uh, ones are probably too big to come out <laughs> yeah, to Jersey. Yeah. Because it's a pygmy thing, right? I think it's just a, a friendly relationship that Tony and Johnny Sack have that Johnny personally has with the New Jersey crew, and that's why you see him a little bit more than you would anybody else from another And with New that York meeting crew. with them, sharing the, the real identity of who the boss is, maybe this is the first step into building that relationship for Tony and the New York family, uh, giving Possibly. him that insight. Because what I'm thinking through my head, like macro, big picture, we see this in the real world right now, the New York attorneys general and the government, the attorney general, they want to go after the big fish, just like in billions, mm-hmm. okay? You want to go after acts, okay? Yeah. To me, in this show, Tony and Junior aren't the axes of the mafia. There's five families in New York. And it's not to say that the show, that the FBI is not mounting their own campaigns against those families. Yeah. I always found it curious, like, why was there so much attention? It's, it's because that's the New Jersey field office of the FBI. Okay. That's why they're so focused. But they're not the big fish. See, it's like, if you want, the score is to get the junior soprano of the five families, because if you take it off of the, at the very top, then it all comes crumbling down. Well, right? in the they, real world at that time, there was that New Jersey family yeah. that was actually a fan of The Sopranos. Yeah. And they were being investigated. Uh, I don't think it's to say that the New York families weren't being watched. I don't think... The show's just not about them. Well, yeah, I, don't I, think that, one, but, I don't think one family is technically a bigger fish than the other. Obviously, there's more clout being in, in a New York family, but I, I think that New Jersey is supposed to be its own family that carries the same exact amount of weight right. as any of the other families it's in New franchise. York. It's a franchise. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. No, so, take, it. so taking Carmine Lupertazzi as one of the heads and whoever the head of the Manhattan family or whatever, I, I think that they're of all, all of equal importance. So the New the Jersey field not office. focusing on them. The New Jer- yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Again, it's just this thing of like, they could have expanded. It could, everything's could have, could have, could have. Mm-hmm. Like you could have done an episode where you expand the universe out yeah. and maybe give the viewer a glimpse into what it might look like in a Manhattan boss's yeah. meeting, a Manhattan boss's satrials, yeah. you know? But again, if the show's not about that, I just think when I'm watching it again, I'm wondering like, wow, they're paying all this attention. I think we would have had a lot more canon uh, in the series if HBO was where it's at now. Because if you look at Game of Thrones today, the budget and what they're planning on doing with spinoffs and potential prequels and probably some short films later on, I think it's a whole franchise that they're trying to milk. They didn't milk Sopranos that way. They're they're just getting to it now. What fifteen fifteen years later? Yeah, Uh, it's it's something too little too late. Or you think it's gonna? There's still always time. I think it's the Carmine show. I mean, look, (laughs) we're doing a podcast on The Sopranos right now. Yeah. So I don't think it's ever too late, but I think the relevance of Sopranos probably was a lot stronger back then when it was HBO's only, that was carrying the entire network. You know, we're doing a Sopranos podcast 15 years later. I want to say one thing about that. The, what makes it timeless is that it's a show about relationships. It's a show about humanity, just a bunch of dialogues with a bunch of different people, a bunch of different walks of life, and there's a timelessness to that. Well, I I, I think uh, above all else, it's a show about the American family. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And the, the relationships and the conversations that husbands have with wives and mistresses have with mistress, sirs, whatever mm-hmm. the word is, and fathers, fathers, and fathers have with sons, son, fathers, mothers. daughters, and cousins, and it's all, yeah. it's all human. This episode in particular, we're about halfway through the first season, we're really starting to understand who the characters are. Yeah. We're going places. Things are happening. And this is, I think, the birth of the diehard fan at this point. I know we mentioned For sure. the yeah. um, college as a standalone episode, but... This episode was more important. Yeah, this, this is re- really was. Because it brings the FBI into well, it. it, and, it and, brings- and it also carries on the last episode before college where I believe it was Meadowlands. Jackie Peel dies at the end. Yeah. And Tony gives it to Junior. That's where we leave off. And we have a whole episode in between there when nothing, nothing happens. Nothing to do with nothing that. a movie would take maybe a half hour, 45 yeah. minutes to settle in. We're six episodes and now we're, we're ready for yeah. what's going to We know there's a, new, there's a new boss in town and it's just good. And, and we have, and we're six episodes in and we still, we have all this runway to let season one take flight. I have a question about averages. Okay. And uh, there's a conversation at the baseball game that uh, Junior and Tony have. 
Uncle Jimmy. Remember when you used to I tell me? I always thought you could make the pros. You could have done it. You had a swing like Joe D. You're crazy. Why? You think I'm shitting you? Yeah, I could barely hit 250. That's because you didn't want it. Too busy chasing skirt. Chasing skirt, your average was 500. Yeah, what happened? So what is it you wanted to talk about? It's one of the first times the junior says something nice about Tony's athleticism and he talks about how uh, being a great hitter and Tony says oh you know I only batted 250 that's not true and he said well chasing tail you you batted 500 500 yeah Chasing tail of 500 is a pretty good number. That's amazing, right? number. Well, yeah. that's, that's what he was saying. He was good at it. I felt like he was complimenting Tony, or he, he, oh, you think he wasn't complimenting Well, he Tony. said he had a swing like Joey D. Yeah. So he was saying he was a better baseball player than he was yeah. a swinger. Mm-hmm. Okay. In baseball, if you're batting 300, you're doing yeah. okay. Yeah. 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 If you're 300, you're an all-star. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Did you guys have any finishing thoughts? Any well, meat, I think any meat uh, left in we, the meat we, slicer? We have, we have some oh, alternate titles, titles. There you go. For the show. John, you want to start us off? Hard at work, soft at home. <laughs> I have the ups and downs of the Soprano family. I feel like you have to come up with a maximum of like three words. You have to be like blunt force with the title. So, Fucking here, title guy over I'm gonna, here. <laughs> I'm going to throw, throw out a challenge to you guys, okay? Do this. If you have a 14-word title, then so be it. But whatever the length of the title is, okay. you guys use that as your frame. Gotcha. So if it's like a four-word title, you guys have four gotcha. words of canvas. All right. If oh, it's a two-word title, accepted. you got two words of title. And you got to get Latin on that shit. Or okay. You got to get, you know. Um, <laughs> I like it. I like that. I, I like how you started this whole notion of how important the title is to the mm-hmm. show. Because to me, it was an afterthought. But I'm actually really not letting yeah. it be an afterthought anymore. Because every single thing that they're doing is intentional. Yeah. I think every storyline within the show has some relation to the title that's set up. Yeah. Should we call it a night, guys? I did notice one thing. <laughs> Georgie is in the card game scene. That is interesting. Georgie, he's, the Georgie guy from the, the Bing. Bing. Poor Georgie. Is that nice Satrial's. observation. How close is Satrial's to the Bing? Well, what I want to just point Not out close. is this is in the nicest well, I've ever seen Tony treat him. He was playing cards with Georgie in every other scene that I can imagine. I think that was a production. He was a production extra. I think Satrial's... Tony wasn't in that scene either. He was. He's sitting right next to him. In the card game? That, in the card game, they're playing oh, with the not the Mikey, Oh, not the one that Mikey breaks, the one in no, Satrials. No, 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 I'm with you. Yeah, where, yeah. that's where Hesh comes in. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, I thought he was an employee. I didn't know he had the privilege of I think playing, it's playing cards. In the I think the Bing has to be close to Satrials just in case Silvio ever gets a craving and he's to run over Satrials with some gobble Interesting observation. He's not a made guy. He's not even in the thing. I don't know what he He's an employee. Well, he's helping Chris bury a body, so I think that there's something there. Yeah, interesting. I like observations like that. Keep them coming. And I also want to say today we're recording on the 50th anniversary of James Gandolfini's passing. Rest in peace. So next week we'll be back. Uh, my boys here from Sopranos Gram are going to be, one's taking a trip to the Dominican Republic, another one's taking a trip to Ibiza. So we'll be back and uh, doing, next week is episode seven. Hopefully Justin will buy an iron. <laughs> 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 that shirt. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. We'll see you next week. Salute. Salute.